You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Hello, this is the Social Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Sperling, and today I'm joined by a special guest from Rainbow Refugee. It's Normalize. Can you please introduce yourself? Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you um, for joining. My name is Norma. My pronouns are she and her, and I am the communications manager at Rainbow Refugee. Um, I'm a trans person and I'm a refugee here. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, in all of our episodes, we end up having this crossover of, of various issues. So we'll find out if that happens today. Probably will. We're both trans people, so that may be part of the discussion at some point. Um, but to start with, I like to give our guests a sense of what the issue is that we're speaking about. So in this case, what does it mean to be a refugee? What does it mean to be an immigrant? Uh, is that something that you can maybe explain a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, the, de the definition of a refugee um, or refugees are usually people who have fled uh, their home countries uh, based on fear, violence, conflict, uh, or persecution and crossed international borders looking for a safety in a different country. Mm -hmm. uh, refugees are usually people who are unable or unwilling to go back to their home country um, based on this fear that we talked about. And the persecution can be for race, religion, um, nationality, being a member of a specific social group. Mm -hmm. which is here we can talk about LGBT people yep. um, or having a specific political opinion. Right. However, an immigrant is someone who has granted uh, the opportunity to stay, work and live in a certain country. Um, they can always go back to their home country. They have the choice to go back to their home country. They're not forcibly displaced or um, fleeing persecution, technically. Right. So a refugee, if they find a new place to live, would also be considered an immigrant, but not all immigrants are considered refugees. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And at, at a certain point after, um, people can, of course, identify the way they want to identify. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you mentioned, immigrants are not always refugees, but refugees can, after a certain point, if they decide uh, to refer to themselves as immigrants instead of refugees, they have the option to do Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the explanation. Yeah. And uh, touching on the organization that you work for, how did Rainbow Refugee come to exist and what is the focus of the organization's work? Yes. So Rainbow Refugee uh, is a Vancouver-based organization. Uh, we started working in the year 2000 uh, with the mission and vision of promoting safer, equitable migrations for people fleeing persecution based on sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, uh, social characteristics, uh, and or HIV status, also known as SOGI-esque. Right. We provide uh, system navigation, we provide information for refugees and refugee claimants seeking refugee status in Canada. We also manage the Rainbow Refugee Assistance Partnership Program, mm -hmm. which is a program that will allow us as an organization to privately sponsor refugees with other organizations working in the country um, to privately sponsor LGBT, LGBTQI refugees from across the, the world. Right. And are there a lot of uh, LGBTQI refugees around the world that are struggling to find places to live? According to the NHCR, currently we have more than 30 million refugees around the world. Uh, not all of them are LGBTQI, but we at Rainbow Refugee, we receive hundreds and hundreds of emails from people asking us for support. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are a very small team and there's a certain amount of people that we can support. 
but we usually refer them to organizations across the country as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of refugees that we receive emails from are in a very critical situation. Right. It, I mean, it, it seems like it's critical because even I will get messages from uh, refugees. They'll see that, uh, that I do work within the queer communities locally and, and reach out and say, I, I'm looking for a way to get to Canada. And I go, I, I don't know what I can personally do, but please contact Rainbow Refugees. Yeah. Sometimes they haven't heard of your organization. Oftentimes they have already, yeah. but it's just so difficult, I guess, to, to find a way to, to make it into Canada or any country when you're in that position. Yeah, and, and it's very important as well for... Uh, for us to share with everyone that who we can support and who we cannot support. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, the definition of a refugee is a person that should be outside of their home country. Mm -hmm. So if the people who are reaching out to us are still in their home country, there's nothing that we can do to support them. Right. They have to be outside of their home country in a, in a different country um, seeking refuge there. So that's when we will be able, they will be qualified as refugees and that's when we can support them. Right. So you're looking at people who are in like refugee camps, perhaps refugee camps or people who are um, left their, their home country. They, they don't have to be necessarily in refugee camps. They can be living and working in a certain country for, for a specific period of time, mm -hmm. um, with no durable solutions for them in that country. And that's when they will be able to, um, have the support that we provide. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. How did you personally become involved with Rainbow Refugee? Um, as I mentioned, I'm a refugee here. So I moved to Canada in 2018. Um, and the first organization that I went to, I only knew one person in Vancouver. And that's it. Um, and that person, when I came here, um, he used to work with Rainbow Refugee. So he introduced me to the organization. I started volunteering with them. And then I became a member. And then in um, August 2020, I became a full-time staff. Uh, I was working with a specific program, uh, the sponsorship program, mm -hmm. the program that sponsors refugees to come here. Yeah. Um, and I recently joined the communications team. Amazing. Yeah. So it's been fairly recent for you that you've been full-time with Rainbow Refugee yeah. or post-COVID, I suppose. Almost um, three years. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah. what has it been like transitioning into that organization during COVID? Does that pose some challenges? Um. The, the, the team that I joined, we were only four mm -hmm. or, yeah, four or five people working and now we're 13 people. So the organization wow. is growing. Um, the only challenge was, um, uh, it can be a bit, um, emotional mm -hmm. to work with because being a refugee and working with refugees, it can be a bit emotional, a bit tricky. Right. Uh, but it is extremely rewarding because we are doing something that we believe in. Mm -hmm. I am part of the community and I'm working for the community. And I believe, I, I, I don't look at my job as a job. I look at it as something that I'm passionate about. Right. I, I think that's a, a similar approach to, to how I look at trans advocacy work, right? As a trans person, it's often difficult dealing with issues that affect me personally, but it's something I really care about. And I'm sure you feel 100%, similar, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. there's, there's a very fine line between um, looking at it as a job or looking at what you're doing as activism. Mm -hmm. And I, I do my best to remind myself that, yeah, that yes, I'm an activist. Yes, I'm a refugee activist. Yes, I'm a trans refugee activist mm -hmm. wearing all the different hats. But at the same time, when I'm at the office and this is my job, mm -hmm. I can't take what I receive or what I see in the office. I can't take it home with me because it will be extremely hard for me to deal with it or to 
navigate through my day-to-day life. Right. I was going to ask you how you make that separation too, because um, for me working in uh, with the flag shop, I do social justice advocacy work. I'm the social justice ambassador for the flag shop, but I also do social justice advocacy work in every aspect of my life. So sometimes it becomes really difficult to tell when am I on the clock and when am I not on the clock? Do you also struggle with that? Or is it sort of when I'm in the office, I'm on the clock. When I'm not in the office, I'm doing my own advocacy. I I, tr- I wish I can mm-hmm. um, like t- say that, no, now I'm from nine to five. I'm just focusing on this. Um, I wear different hats and mm-hmm. I try as mu- I'm still learning and I try as much as possible to say, okay, now, no, now I'm wearing the trans hat. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing on trans advocacy. Now I'm wearing the refugee hat. I'll focus on refugee stuff. So it's right. it's not the easiest, um, but I guess I'm managing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here, so I'm managing. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, hopefully that continues well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what are some of the causes that, that would uh, make someone become a refugee? Like, are we talking about wars or is it uh, someone's being targeted by a gang or, you know, what are some of the types of scenarios that you encounter? Yeah, as, uh, yeah, war, violence, um, persecution of being gay or of being part of the LGBTQI community, um, receiving threats on a daily basis. I believe 71 countries in the world, they still decriminalize homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can only imagine how the lives of LGBTQI folks living in those countries can be. Um, <clears throat> and someone can become a, like the cause for someone to become a refugee, um, other than the ones that we mentioned, is that there is no future for them in that country. There is no future for them in their home, in their home country. Mm-hmm. And there is no future for them in the country that they went to looking for safety or looking for um, a better place to live. Right. And when we say that they there's no future for them, does that mean that their life is at risk if they were yes. to stay in that country? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no future for them based on sexual orientation or gender identity, based on the race, based on religion, uh, based on their political opinions, uh, based on their nationality. Right. And how... Who determines if someone qualifies to be a refugee? Uh, is it dependent on each country that has different requirements around, uh, we'll consider this person a refugee and, and they can seek asylum in our country if they meet X qualifications or is there a global standard? Yeah, according to the United Nations, UNHCR, um, United Nations Commissions for Refugees, uh, the definition is what I, what I just shared with you. Right. So if you tick all the boxes, mm-hmm. um, then you will become a refugee. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, as long as you meet the United Nations definitions, mm-hmm. you can seek asylum in, in any country that accepts refugees. That accepts so, refugees. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And are there a lot of <laughs> countries that don't accept refugees? Unfortunately. Um, and it can be different from like, for, for a lot of reasons, some countries would say that we are a small country and we already, we are over overpopulated and we cannot um, accept refugees. You can come here, stay for a short period of time, but then this country will be um, host country. You can't mm-hmm. stay here for a long time. Right. I remember that being a big issue in the 2015 election mm-hmm. around, do we want more people coming to the country? And I, I don't think it was specifically refugees. It was just immigration in general. We don't want foreigners coming into the country. It was sort of how the Conservative Party, I think at the time, was framing it, right? Yeah. But I, I, like Canada is a huge country and we have huge. a lot of places where we can have a lot of people and we need mm-hmm. we need to have immigrants and refugees here because they will become part of the community and they will help us 
um, do better and do the work and continue on growing and be existing on this in, in this country. Mm-hmm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. On that note, what is the process for someone who wants to seek asylum in Canada? Um, is there, you know, is there certain paperwork you have to file? How long do you have to wait? What, what does that sort of look like? Yeah, so it depends if the person is outside of Canada or inside of Canada. If the people are outside of Canada meeting the requirements of being refugees, then um, they can register with UNHCR. And then the government, we call them uh, government-assisted refugees. So the government will sponsor them to come here. Or they can be privately sponsored. And when we say privately sponsored, like at Rainbow Refugee, we privately sponsor refugees. Work And we work with uh, groups of people in Vancouver and BC. Uh, we call them the circles of hope. People, regular people from the community, like you and me, um, living here and having the privilege of existing and being who we are in the community. Um, we work with them closely to sponsor refugees to come here. Mm-hmm. The process can be um, can take a lot of time just like everything that has to do with paperwork and mm-hmm. submitting um, papers to the government um, and processing as well, processing time outside of the country. Because let's say um, we're sponsoring someone from um, Jordan who left Jordan and now located in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Then we have to follow the processing time that is specific to Turkey. It can be up to between two to three years before they move here. But once they they move here, then they will arrive as permanent residents. Okay. And if someone is inside of Canada already, let's say students or someone on a short time uh, work permit Mm -hmm. um, or or visitors, um, and they fear going back to their home country because of persecution, Mm -hmm. that's when they can apply inland. They can be in Canada and apply for protection inside of Canada. Right. And how are they getting to Canada in that case? Is that, um, can you just cross a border and say, hey, I'm coming into Canada and I want to seek uh, asylum here? Or are they sneaking into the country because they have to do it that way? Um, or student visa student or visa. working visa or uh, just tourists coming here as a tourist and then realizing that they cannot go back to where they came from. Okay. So. So it's not, uh, I know in the news or, or in politics, it often gets framed as, you know, people are sneaking into the country, but it sounds like that's not. It's, that's it's not, not that of- easy, I guess. I like, we, we, we have a lot of people who cross the borders mm-hmm. and they got to the, to the borders and they said, I don't, I can't go back. Right. Uh, but I'm not sure about the number of like how many people will do this because mm-hmm. it's, they are putting themselves at a high, high risk. Right. When refugees do eventually arrive in Canada, what sort of support systems are here? I often hear about uh, local people in, I live in Coquitlam, Um, there's people in Coquitlam that will go out and and try to find furniture, apartments, things like that to help. Is that sort of what refugees are reliant on? Is the support from the community? Are are there government supports available? Yeah, it it depends on the stream on how they arrive to Canada. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, either government assisted refugees or private refugees, private sponsored refugees. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they arrive here as government assisted refugees, uh, we have a lot of government agencies or welcome centers where people can go there, mm-hmm. stay there for a short period of time, get their paperwork done, their SIN number, everything ready. And then they start looking for housing and they leave the welcome center. 
Um, But if someone arrives here as um, private sponsored, then the people who sponsored this person, it's their job to find housing and support them from day-to-day tasks until they can support themselves. Right. Yeah. Uh, And does that pose a bit of a challenge? I mean, I know with at the moment, we're all worried about inflation going up, interest rates going up, things like that. Is that having an impact on people's ability to privately sponsor refugees? Um, um, honestly, no. Like in, in the last two years, we had more than 20 circles of people, mm-hmm. circles of hope, uh, who started working with us and they are eager to sponsor people to come here. Right. Um, so I guess once the refugees are here, that's when they will start facing the challenges. But for now, I'm seeing a lot of people interested in privately sponsoring. And when I say privately sponsoring, um, it's not that you have to pay out of your own pocket. We support the circles to fundraise and make fundraising events to collect the money, put them in the circle. And then once the refugees are here, this money will be for them. Oh, so I may have inadvertently been part of something like that in the past because uh, I'm not going to mention names, but yeah. uh, a friend of mine organized a, a big bingo night as a mm-hmm. fundraiser for Rainbow Refugees. Yeah. So that might have been of course. along those lines. Yeah. Okay. yeah, if that wasn't for a specific circle at Rainbow Refugee, that would have gone to the general donations for Rainbow Refugee to help us support other people. Amazing. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, so love you were part of so it. Much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try to be part of it more often, too. We may have already touched on this a little bit, but mm-hmm. what are some of the main issues that refugees and or immigrants uh, will face when they're relocating? Uh, and this could be to Canada or to any country, if you have a knowledge of that. But yeah. um, I don't think we have a specific list of issues that I can share with you, but it can be from uh, finding communities of belonging, mm-hmm. Um, homesickness. Mm-hmm. I still go, like, I still feel homesick until today. Um, things like not being able to find food that's familiar. Yeah, yeah or sometimes food or, or familiar places as well, you okay, know, because yeah. refugees are, as we mentioned, forced to leave their countries. Right. Uh, it wasn't a choice. I was forced to leave my country. Um, I can say as well, other issues can be related to finding a family doctor. It's not that easy to find a family doctor. Right. Uh, specifically for LGBTQI folks, it's not that easy to find safe housings as well, knowing now that everything is going up and the prices. Um, finding a safe job It's not just about finding a job, finding a safe job for LGBTQI folks, Um, knowing that it's so hard to have a job if you don't have the Canadian experience. Right. We really focus on the Canadian experience here, and it's a must for anyone to find a job. So, um, and the list can go on and on and on from uh, feeling comfortable going out from, and here as well, the intersectionalities, we can talk about um, languages, we can mm-hmm. talk about privileges, we can talk about the background of the, of the people who are moving here. Um, for example, I, I, my integration in the community when I moved here was kind of easier than another person because I speak the language and I was able to um, be integrated in the society faster mm-hmm. than other folks. Right. Um, and we always we always talk about acknowledging the privileges that you have and and even as as refugees we do have privileges mm-hmm. and we're not all equal right i think that's something that a lot of people don't understand because we keep coming back to this um conversation around what privilege <clears throat> means mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast and just in in my 
advocacy circles yeah. where you can be very not privileged in many, many ways, but there could be, you know, a certain aspect of your life where you do have privilege. And I think some people will view it as you either have privilege or you don't have privilege, but it, there's much more nuance to of it. Of course, right? of mm -hmm. course. Like I have a university degree. That's a privilege. Mm -hmm. I speak French and English. That's a privilege. Um, I was able to, I did some activism back home. So I, it was easy for me to be integrated in the community here. That's a privilege, but that doesn't mean that the privileges that I have, that, that doesn't mean that, um, I don't, um, I don't qualify to be a refugee. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with it. Right. And when we're talking about, uh, that feeling of homesickness mm. is there are, are there opportunities for people to immigrate as refugees with, uh, pets or with family members? Uh, a lot of refugees, um, are traveling now with pets because we consider pets chosen family. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of refugees that we sponsored in the past and we're currently sponsored, sponsoring, um, they moved here with their significant others. They moved here with their partners. Mm -hmm. Um, and that gave them, um, um, sense of being like, at least, at least I'm not here by myself. Right. At least I have someone that I love. Um, as well, a lot of refugees that we sponsored or someone, an immigrant who moved here, let's say 20 years ago, um, now is sponsoring his sister and his mom because they had to leave their home country and go to a different country based on persecution because his sister is from the LGBT community. Right. So now he is, he's an immigrant and he's sponsoring his family who are considered refugees outside of their home country. Right. Yeah. And is it quite challenging to bring other people over? Like, um, do they also need to qualify as refugees? Um, is it, you know, easier for uh, you to bring over a spouse than your parents, for instance? Um, it depends if, like, if they are outside of their home country and they're fleeing persecution, then yes, they will be, they, they will be refugees. Mm -hmm. um, but we specifically work with LGBT folks. Mm -hmm. So if they're not part of the LGBT community, then they have other organizations that can support them and sponsor them. Right. And I know a lot of churches, they do this, a lot of organizations. Um, I can name Mosaic. They, they mm -hmm. sponsor refugees as well who are not part of the LGBT community. I guess when you're coming into a new, country, there's going to be a different society, a mm -hmm. different way that things operate. What is the process of uh, overcoming those societal stigmas like when you're moving to a new country? I mean, I'm sure it's different in different countries, right? But uh, it depends on how similar that country is to where you're coming from. But um, is that quite a challenge to overcome? Are there a lot of social stigmas out there in, in Canada? I believe um, removing the stigmas can start from us mm -hmm. here living here, mm -hmm. all the stigmas that we have around refugees, all the um, misinformation that we're spreading about refugees, and um, all the internal stigmas that we pr sometimes project on other people, specifically if they are refugees. Uh, so when we talk about removing the stigmas or working on the stigmas or how refugees are working on the stigmas, I always take a step back and I invite, again, privileged people here mm -hmm. to work on themselves, removing the stigmas that they have so they can support refugees to be integrated in the community. Right. And 
what would your suggestions be for someone who's thinking, well, maybe I do have some stigma that I need to work on? Um, is it education? Like, it's just reading and, and podcasts like your podcast. Listen mm-hmm. to this podcast. Um, and for, we, we have a lot of information out there. We're in 2023. Um, a lot of people are using the internet now nowadays mm-hmm. uh, it's a privilege to use the internet but a lot of people are using the internet and we have a lot of information if we really need to work on something and if we really need to um, work on ourselves to remove the stigmas that we have mm-hmm. the information is out there um, right. definitely from engaging in conversations with other people um, being involved in different circles that we are usually involved in. So if not I feel getting that, stuck in an echo chamber. Yes. And if, if I feel that this group of friends that I have, they always have specific comments or specific um, behaviors around refugees and newcomers, maybe I should look for a new circle mm-hmm. um, with people who are seeing things in a different way mm-hmm. um, and just to have a better idea of um, what is a refugee. And don't be afraid to talk to refugees and newcomers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that it's not up to us to educate people, but at the same time, engaging in a conversation with someone can really change how we feel about a certain topic. Mm -hmm. And this is what I always say about trans people. Don't be afraid to approach a trans person, but be sure that a trans person should not be your Google. Google should be your best friend. But then do your research and then come to us with questions after building a trust relationship between us. Don't just see a trans person walking down the street and just ask them questions or start asking them about their identity. So, um, yeah, it's, it's more about the work that we can do mm-hmm. and how we can, um, be better human beings. Right. And we've talked about this in, in the, uh, LGBTQIA2S plus, uh, podcast. We've talked about this in the disability podcast, but, um, this, idea that we need allies to step up. So, uh, when you talk about if don't, don't use a trans person as your Google, mm-hmm. use Google. Yeah. Um, but also we sort of expect that allies are going to come in and help to educate people as well so that it's not the burden of, of trans people in this case. Does that apply to refugees as well? 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I don't look at allyship as a title that you can add to your resume. Mm-hmm. Allyship is a daily work. Right. Um, it's something that we have to work on every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, as you support LGBTQ people outside in the daylight, support refugees in the daylight. Don't keep us behind closed doors. Normalize having a conversation about refugees with your families, with your coworkers, with your, um, significant others. Be involved in activities that we are organizing, that a lot of organizations are organizing and be the change that you want to see in the world. I love that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Me too. Uh, (laughs) Is there anything that we haven't brought up yet that you would like to make our audience aware of before we start wrapping things up for the podcast? I I just want to thank you so much for for giving us this platform and for being the ally that you are. Even if you like you just mentioned, oh, I I maybe I was part of it. So even if you don't know that you're being part of it, you are being part of it. And with just opening this platform for us, uh, I really want to thank you. And um I guess all that all the things that we shared in the episode, I really hope that people can take this um this episode and just take a deep breath and reflect on things that they're doing or things that they did in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never too late to 
introduce ourselves to a new idea. Mm-hmm. It's never too late to maybe change or adjust. Change can be like people can be scared when mm-hmm. we say change. It's never too late to adjust or to add something meaningful to our lives. Um, whether supporting LGBTQI folks or supporting refugees who are part of the LGBTQI community. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you so much for providing the opportunity for all of us to learn about refugees. And before we sign off for the day, we try to end all of our episodes by giving our audience something that they can take away and uh, use to advocate on behalf of whatever the issue is. So in this case, what can our audience do to be better allies to refugees, to help raise awareness, to give back? Uh, what, what are some opportunities of for that? Of course. Um, you can go to our website, www.rainbowrefugee.com, uh, where you can volunteer with us. We need a lot of volunteers on a weekly basis for different activities that we do. Um, or you can start your own sponsoring group and sponsor refugees to come here. Or if you feel that you don't have the time or energy, you can donate to us. You can share with your colleagues and ask them to donate. Um, as I mentioned, we are still a small organization, uh, but we have big dreams and we have a lot of things that we want to do. And yeah. All the support from the community is much appreciated. Right. It sounds like there's no shortage of people to to help. So uh, yeah. all of the volunteers, all of the money that you can get is going to be beneficial, it sounds Definitely. like. Definitely. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. And like I said, to to learn more about this topic, I hope our audiences gathered something uh, useful from it that they can take out into their lives and, and make the world a better place. So uh Thank you again, and we'll call it a wrap for today. This has been a social justice podcast. Today's issue uh, that we've been discussing is refugees and immigration, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book.